The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Mike Napa, who's a best-selling, award-winning Christian author, and he's currently the Senior Acquisitions Editor at Discovery House Publishers. Mike, welcome to The Christian Publishing Show. Thanks for having me, Thomas. And uh, today we're going to talk about what editors are looking for in book proposals. And I was looking at your guidelines and I fell in love with a section of them. In fact, we're going to link to uh, Mike's submission guidelines in the show notes if you want to see what an actual editor at a Christian publishing house is looking for. But I wanted to talk about some of the highlights (laughs) and uh, what people should do and what people should not do. And you had a great list of what you are not looking for in book proposals. So let's uh, let's go through some of those things. These are like themes that you see too much of. Like, t- Give me kind of the big picture of what you're not looking for before we go through the list. All right. Well, uh, most people who want to write Christian books um, tend to be very uncreative. They don't understand that what makes a book saleable is the uniqueness of the book. And so they tend to look at, at what books are popular and what they like. And, you know, they'll look at a book like Jesus Calling and they'll say, wow, I should do that. Um, Jesus emailing or, you know, Jesus texting or, you know, they don't understand that what made the book unique to begin with is not something that was the selling point. And you can't just copycat. So there are a lot of themes that come across my desk pretty much every day. And um, they go in cycles. And and after a while, you see the, the 40th one talking about how, you know, you're beautiful to God and you realize, yes, it's important that people know they're beautiful to God, but can we just not do every single book about that? So that's kind of where my little list came from of, look, these are themes I'm getting all the time and I'm not publishing any of these books, so just don't send them to me. And this could be a time saver because a lot of authors writing, they have no idea what other authors are writing, especially in the proposals. And so it's easy to kind of not be aware of those kind of cliched tropes, if you will, or kind of cliched books that uh, your book may look too similar to. So I think it would be helpful for our listeners to kind of share some of the kind of overused cliched themes that you see in too many books that if a book has that theme, they're less likely to get acquired or perhaps completely unlikely to get acquired. So everybody else is wrong. Uh, I feel like this is a very common uh, theme uh, of of Christian books. And I, as a marketing person, I'm always trying to explain to people, no one wants to buy a book telling them that they're wrong. Right? D- Democrats don't buy books by Republicans about how wrong Democrats are. And Republicans don't buy books by Democrats about how wrong Republicans are. Like That's not a book that will sell. Uh, and, and what what does this look like, though, in the Christian context? Uh, what's the most common, like everyone else is wrong type book you see? A lot of it is political because we a lot of Christians assume that Republicans are Christian or that the Democrats are the real true Christians. And so I'll get books about how, you know, everybody is, is wrong who is uh, for immigration, everybody who's wrong who's against immigration, everybody who's wrong who's for Trump, everybody who's wrong who's against Trump. I don't, uh, you know what, let's just bring people together into Jesus and forget about all those political things that we're worried about. Um, and if the purpose of your book is simply to, you know, be caustic and, and 
try to tell everybody else to, to believe exactly what you believe or to think exactly what you think. You know what? I'm sure there's a place for that, and there's, a, there's probably a publisher that will publish it, but it's not me. So just don't send it to me. Don't send me a book that tells me, um, you know, here's what you ought to know because I'm right and you're wrong. Not interested in that, and no reader is interested in being treated like that either. It's condescending and insulting. Yeah, and the better path forward is to explain the benefit of what you're trying to sell, like how your book and what you're presenting. You know, if somebody puts it into practice in their life, their life will be benefited in some way. Because obviously, every book you want to change people a little bit, right? If somebody picks up your book and sets it down, and they are no different, your book has failed in some ways. Uh, but you can't uh, try to change people too much. So, I get. Is, do you see it being kind of a sweet spot with that? Like, how do you navigate that? Uh, well, the thing is, that, yeah, obviously, you want everyone to be influenced by your book. But you, if you're trying to just create clones of yourself so you can have an army of people who think everybody else is wrong, I'm not interested. The other thing that's related to this one is a little down later, and Lisa says, this is my latest pet peeve, so I'm going to over-spiritualize it into a book. <laughs> this is where we get people who, <laughs> I mean, those two, those, two book, those two things are related. Everybody else is wrong, and this is my latest pet peeve. And you get those, you know, and man, it's just, they're so short-sighted. They don't understand what they're doing, I guess. Um, but you get people who oh, suddenly get on this kick that, my goodness, we should stop using all of our screens. We should, we're, we're too much of a screen society, so we need to get off the internet. We need to get off the, um, our phones and blah, blah, blah. And by the way, buy my ebook so you can read about how you should get off your phone. You know what I mean? It's like, do you realize what you're, what you're talking about? Um, so when they've got some just axe to grind, and there are, a lot of them are just always the same, Whatever the latest scare is out there, people are certain it's, it's certain death and spiritual life and such and such. And I'm like, you know what? Listen, um, if you've got an axe to grind, start a blog and get famous that way. I'm not going to publish your book just because you want, you want to complain about things. Which, you know, sounds like my own little axe to grind, doesn't it? Hey, look at me. <laughs> or get on a, get, be a guest on somebody's podcast and you can grind your axe there. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, another another one of your uh, items here is um, about authors who've never studied the craft of writing. Why is that a problem? Can't, you're the editor, right? Can't you just like turn anything into gold? Isn't that uh, <laughs> what you do? <laughs> yes, of course I can do that. Ha ha ha. Um, look, uh, this one is related to one later in list that says God told me to write this book, and um, it comes back. It comes down to we are as Christian people, we are we have a higher standard than just um, success in a popular marketplace. And if you, when I sit across people at writers' conferences and things, and they say things like, "God told me to write a book," or "I read a lot of books but never studied the craft of writing," but you know, I'm sure I've got a book in me. Or the first thing I say is, well, "What have you What have you done to study the craft of writing?" And they kind of look at me blank faced, and I'm like, "Well, do you think?" Um, let's assume that God told you to be a the first cellist in the New York Symphony Orchestra. You think you could just pick up a cello and go over there and sit down, or what? What do you think is going to happen? Oh no, I'd have to, I have to study for a while and learn how to play a cello, and then practice. You know, I probably practice eight hours a day for probably a few years until I get my ten thousand hours in. Then I could do it. I'm like, yeah. Well, so why do you approach writing a book differently? Why do you assume that if God told you to write a book? That means God told you to sit down and do it this minute. When God told Noah to build a boat, how many how many years did it take him take Noah to prepare for that? When God told um, Moses 
God didn't take Moses out of the wilderness until he was about 80 years old. When God told Paul to, to be the light to the Gentiles, he spent three years studying and learning and, and discovering God. What makes you think that God intends for you to just be a lazy person and not prepare for the calling that he's given for you? If God has actually called you to write this book, then you have a responsibility to get out there and study and learn and become the best craftsman or craftswoman at writing that you can be. And if you don't do that, you're insulting God and you're insulting me and you're insulting your reader. Not that I have any opinions about that or anything, right? <laughs> no, but that's so good because I think um, we often, and this is, I think it's a like a theological issue of thinking that faith is a substitute for works and thinking that if God has called us to do something, he's going to do all the work when you can't support that in scripture. And you gave good examples, but you could keep going, right? Like when the when God called the children of Israel to the land of Canaan, he didn't send a plague to kill all the giants. He left the giants there. And when they battled those giants, they had to do it with faith, right? Like they had to like going around Jericho and walking around it, but they also had to do it with cunning. And a bloody sword, right? And a bloody sword and with cunning. If you keep reading in that story, Joshua is using all kinds of tactics and like ambushes and he has half the army run away while the other half sneaks up to the, you know, the city. And like, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of strategy. Like, why is he having to use strategy if God's called him to do it? It's like, no, he's using strategy because God's called him to do it. Like, um, faith and works go hand in hand. And if you don't believe me, there's actually a book in the Bible all about this. It's called James. And I highly recommend commend it. Uh, a lot of people think that James isn't a real book of the Bible because Martin Luther didn't like it, but uh, there is no like asterisk there. It is full, true scripture and you can take it to the bank. Yeah, that's just the way it is. And, you know, look, when we are creating books that transform lives, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit, obviously, to to guide us and help us. And But the guidance the Holy Spirit gives us most often is training and preparation. We've got, we've only got, this is the tools we have. You know, a plumber's got a wrench and a, and a pipe and, and, you know, a carpenter's got a hammer and saw. The cool, these are the tools that we writers and editors have. We have 26 letters and a, and a handful of punctuation marks. That's it. Those are the only tools that we have. And if we don't know how to use those tools, we're going to create blunt force trauma on our reader instead of, instead of healing our reader like we're supposed to. That's really good because it's not just about speaking the truth. Right. Like if you look in the New Testament and the Gospels, you know who always spoke the truth about Jesus? The demons. Right. Like as soon as some <laughs> demon would start talking, he's like, who are you, son of God, to do blah, blah. And the first thing Jesus would do before dealing with the demon was to silence it because they were speaking the truth, but they were not speaking the truth in love. And they were speaking the truth specifically to sabotage Jesus's message because the timing of things was really important, right? Jesus was constantly talking about, especially in John, my time has not yet come. And the demons were trying to speak the truth to mess that up. And and as Christians, we can't just speak the truth. Like you said, we can't just wield it as this weapon. We have to be motivated by love and the truth and love have to go together. And you have to know how to use those tools to, to communicate that well so that you're not communicating what you don't intend to communicate. Here's the thing, this list, you know, all these listeners out there, this list is in those in the submission guidelines that um, Thomas is going to make available for you. So we're not going to go over every single thing on this list. But here's the core thing about this list. Um, most writers that I, that I see, especially younger ones, they assume 
that the purpose of their writing is because they've got a message to tell or they've got something to say or it's all about the writer. You know what? This is not what publishing is about. Writing, at least in the spiritual and Christian sense, writing is about serving the reader. And so what your job is is not to tell some you know, boring story about how your refrigerator broke and how you're now the perfect example of Christianity because you learned how to trust God when you had to eat melted ice cream. Uh, Your job is to understand what your reader, what your reader's thinking, what your reader's hoping, what your reader is wishing for, and then to communicate to that reader in a way that helps that reader and that, that guides the reader, that brings the reader next to you, not that sets the reader in a chair in front of you so you can preach at him. Um, what I'm looking for in the books that I acquire is I'm looking for mentors. I'm not looking for preachers. I don't want you to sit down and give me a, a three points in a poem and tell me all the things that, that are step one, you have to do this. Step two, you have to do that. What I'm looking for is someone who says, look, I'm going on the same road that you are. Maybe I'm a step or two ahead of you. Let's talk about what's happening and let's see where things are going. Maybe we can discover something together uh, about, about this, whatever this topic may be. I hope does that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that's that's really good. And I do encourage you to go to christianpublishingshow.com uh, and to download uh, the list. I do want to talk about one more item on the list, though, because I feel like this one is uh, worth mentioning, and it is how to make God do what you want him to do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how many times I get these these books that are just like that. Here's how to manipulate God. If you want to be faith, you know, you want to see miracles happen, here's how to manipulate God to do what you can do. I actually saw a, a an article titled the one right below that twice the results with half the prayer. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's not the point of prayer is twice the results. The point of prayer is the communication, the intimate relationship with God. Look, I don't, I don't care if you think you found a formula to make God answer your prayers in a certain way, or if you think fasting and on Thursdays and, and, you know, witnessing on Tuesdays is what makes God answer your prayers. I don't care about that kind of stuff. What I want to know is, do you know Jesus? And can you can you talk about Jesus without making it weird? Can you talk about the Bible without making it a strange, weird thing that, that people? Can you sit down in a coffee house and share a cup of coffee with someone and listen to their questions and explore answers with the question? I'm not. I'm not out to make God my my personal servant. I'm out to un- understand more about how how do we encounter god and how do we engage in him uh, the you know i think the, the best way to look at it is a statement that that i sometimes tell people you know which takes more faith to believe god for a miracle or to believe god when the miracle doesn't come because you know what god is the same in both of those situations so um when god responds in the way we want him to he's god and that's great when god responds in a way that we're not really happy about he's still god and that's still great so can you talk take me through both of those situations or are you just trying to get me to, to give me seven steps for making god answer your prayers i'm not interested in that it's not real truth that's not real life it's true, although I imagine that book would sell pretty well. <laughs> Seven steps to make God answer your prayers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not saying that people don't publish these books. When I'm in a writer's conference, people always say, I, re- I saw this book and it's a bestseller and it's terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's, those get published because there's the, uh, this goes back to my book, 77 Reasons Why Your Book Was Rejected. Um, the purpose for publishing is not necessarily the the quality of the book it's whether or not a book will earn money now we try as christians particularly to create uh, an additional filter on that but really you know what 
the thing that decides whether a book is published or not is whether or not it's going to make money. And you think, oh, that's just a sellout. But if you want someone to pay for your words, you are just as much a part of the problem as you think other people are. Um, it takes this enormous amount of ego to say, I'm going to give you my words and charge you $17.99 for them, right? Because uh, we could sit down and talk at coffee for free. Or, you know, if we sit there and say, God has given me the special truth to share, why are you charging $17.99 for it? Why do you expect to get paid royalties on it? Why don't you just go out and give it away for free, right? So if you're involved in the publishing industry, if you want to be paid for the words that you create, um, this is, you're, you're also part of the problem. But profit, that's the number one reason why a book is published or it doesn't publish. And that's why a lot of really bad books get published because they know they'll make profit. So if you um, want to make a difference, then you need to write a book that's going to make that's going to make profit, but also be better than the profit motive. Again, I hope that makes sense. You're preaching before, but now you're meddling, Pastor. Now, now you now you're meddling. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. Now I've gone to meddling. You've gone to meddling. So all right, I do um, want to talk uh, about the, some of the things you are looking for. I feel like we've done a good job of kind of talking about the red flags. Uh, but I do want to uh, get to like the more hopeful, uh, positive uh, part of this. So so walk us through. You have this um, acrostic ears uh, that I thought was really interesting. So so what is this? What is the E in ears of what you're looking for? Well, of course, we, we always have the profit motive. But as as I'm looking at books... I'm looking for a book, yeah, that has, I call it ears, and that's an acrostic. It stands for um, E is eternal, A is authentic, R is relevant, and S is shareable. And, and the way that works for me is I kind of run every every book that I work on through this filter. What what can I do with this book that has an eternal aspect? Now, for me, that that's talking about um, – Christ and, and the Bible and things like that. So for me, a book that has an eternal element in it is something that's centered on Scripture, enhanced by prayer, and, and dependent on Christ's Holy Spirit for guidance and truth. I want something that's not just about today. I want something that's going to actually impact eternity. Um, that's actually harder than you would think to find uh, in Christian publishing. I'm also looking for a book that is authentic. And by that, I mean two things. I want, a, I want an author who is an, living an authentic life that's, that's consistent with whatever the topic is that person is writing. But also, I want an author who is authentically open and honest about dealing with the issues and questions that ring true in real life. You know, someone who's writing from a position of authority on whatever the topic is, but also someone who's writing openly and honestly and not just creating a persona to present a certain slant on who they are or what they are. I want a human connection. I want people to know, yes, I'm talking to Mike Napa, not just Mike Napa's book. You know what I mean? Uh, I also, in that, I need a book that's relevant to today, to 21st century. I know a lot of writers who want to go back, uh, remember the good old days back in the 1950s, or even remember the good old days back in the 80s. And you know what? Those were some good days, I will grant you. Um, but they're kind of irrelevant to the person who's looking for books today and looking for something from God today. I want something that is relevant to modern culture, to our actual readers, to the multitude of influences and concerns that define our current society. And partly because we still have all of the books from the 80s that spoke to the 80s. <laughs> and some of them were not as great as we thought they were, are they? <laughs> so, some of them are not as great as they, we thought they were, but some of them are really good. Like people still go back to some of the classics that came out in the 80s, some of the classics that came back, uh, that came out in the 90s. And 
you know, those, if somebody's like struggling with the sort of thing they struggle back then, they may go back and read that book that they came out back then. And they may or may not be looking for a new book. You know, the, what the new books are looking for are for the new challenges that they're facing or the new cultural contexts uh, that they're facing. Because the reality is Christian truth doesn't really change, right? Like the, the gospel, mere Christianity is one of my favorite books. It makes this really great case that the core of Christianity is unchanged by time and it's unchanged by location. So whether you're in China or in Africa or in medieval Japan, the core of Christianity is the same. And yet what does change and what is changing really fast right now is that cultural context, right? Like the kinds of challenges, like it used to be atheism was the big challenge, right? Like in the eighties and the nineties, it was a very secular time. Uh, and, and there are still atheists and, you know, that's still a challenge, but the bigger challenge right now, I feel is new age, right? Where it's like, oh yeah, I accept your spirituality of being a Christian. And I also expect, accept all the other spiritualities. <laughs> and it's like, this is a totally different cultural context. While the atheist is disbelieving everything I'm saying, the new age person is believing everything I'm saying in a very useless way. <laughs> it's like how you, you know, present the gospel and how you be a Christian in that context is is different. And uh, in it, and with culture changing so quickly, this is one of those things where we're constantly needing authors who are speaking to that uh, cultural climate. And so being relevant means that you have to be like, connected enough with the world to know what's going on and to um, and interacting with your core reader and, uh, you know, aware of the kind of challenges that she faces or he faces. Yeah, you know, the Christian who will not touch her culture can't change her culture. We have to remember that Christ incarnated into culture in order to, to bring truth to us and that we are not in this 21st century by accident. God didn't bring us into the year 2019 because it was a haphazard thing. He didn't go, whoops, Mike got left in 2019. I meant to get him out of 2012. You know what I mean? He's he's gotten <laughs> me here in this place, in this time, in American culture in 2019, not because he wants me to hide away or to, to you know, combat every little thing that shows up on TV. It's because he wants me to be someone who can incarnate his truth into this culture and this time in this community of, of a nation. Uh, and that's the writer that I'm looking for. I'm looking for a writer who can understand I am I am timeless and eternal in the sense of truth, but I am also relevant in the sense of I'm here in this culture right now, and this is where God has placed me for an intent to do something through me. That's what I'm looking for when I talk about, uh, uh, you know, eternal and relevant and authentic. The last thing on my ears, little acrostic, is shareable. Uh, the best way to share Jesus is in community. You know, um, when you're talking friend to friend, family to family, neighbor to neighbor, something that makes someone say, this particular book was meaningful to me, therefore I want to share it with you. Um, if you create content that is shareable, then um, you're probably going to be successful in this business. That's just kind of the way it works. When we spread the word through the things that we share and through the relationships that we have, we actually have a chance to make an impact. Yeah, no, that that's really good. And that shareable, um, for that to be really uh, well done, you need to understand your message in a very clear, concise way. Uh, because if you can't tell somebody in a sentence or two why the book, right, why they should read the book, why they should buy the book, um, they will not be able to do that with others, right? If the, if the concept of the book is so convoluted that you need a paragraph to explain it, your readers will need a page to explain it. And at that point, 
it's not shareable. You get three ripples out from that. Suddenly somebody's just trying to reiterate the entirety of the book and, and it's lost in the message. And the more you're able to get to that core essence of your idea. And this is one of the things I do as an agent, actually, I'm often working with my clients to help them find that core message that like one sentence summary of the why of the book that helps it be more shareable. That won't guarantee that people will be like, oh my gosh, I have to tell all my friends about this book, but it helps, right? If you can't explain it in a sentence, no one else is going to be able to explain it in a sentence. So it's got to start with you. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you a secret now, a secret to all you, all your listeners out there. If you want to impress me, I can't speak for everybody, but if you want to impress me, Somewhere in your proposal, you tell me exactly what the promise your book is making, and you tell me what the emotion is that you want to evoke in your reader. If you can identify the promise of your book and the emotion of your book, um, that's going to go a long way because then I know that you understand not just, I've got something to say, i got to get this book out of me or whatever, but that you understand that you need to make a promise to your reader. You need to say, if you pick up this book, this is what will happen. And then you need to evoke the right emotion in the reader. And that can be a positive emotion. Uh, this is an emotion of hope or emotion of, of, of joy, or it can be a negative emotion that you're trying to overcome. Like this, I know you feel frustrated. And so this is going to help you overcome that frustration. For instance, we have a book coming out. Gosh, I think it's April, May. It's soon, the next couple of months, we have a book coming out called Praying to Change Lives. Uh, it's by Jody Brawlsma. Fantastic books, best book I edited last year. And her promise has literally become the title of the book that when you pray, you can indeed change lives. And then the emotion of that book is hope, uh, hope for significance, hope for, for change. And um, man, she was able to identify that. And then she was able to write an entire book that just really hits hard on those two themes. You can pray and your prayers can change lives. And then um, because of that, you can have hope that Christ is, is, is going to make a difference by using your prayers, by listening to your prayers. And her theme scripture for that book is Psalm 116, verse 2. And I'm reading in the New Living Translation here, and it says this, Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. And you know what? I, when she turned in this manuscript, I was just going to look it over and see if it was okay to pay her, pay the rest of her money that, she, that we owed her or if I needed to ask for revisions. And it kind of annoyed me because I started reading and I was like, dang, I'm going to have to just stop everything and read this whole book because this is not just a book for someone else. This is a book for me. It's actually <laughs> going to change my life today. And so I ended up spending the entire day just reading her book when I was supposed to you know, go to meetings and do other stuff. But that's the kind of book I'm looking for. It's an occupational hazard. <laughs> right? That's the kind of book I'm looking for. If you can tell me what your promise is in a clear, uh, concise way, and if you can tell me what the emotion is that you want to either uh, evoke or help me overcome uh, those two, that little bit of knowledge is going to really take your proposal and your book a long way past uh, the slush pile. Promise and emotion. There you go. I think that's a great place to end it. That is a really uh, key advice. I just want to underline that. Uh, the promise and the emotion. You need to make a clear promise and you need to deliver on that promise, I should say. Right, right. You have to deliver on the promise. Yeah, you can't just promise and then not uh, not deliver. Um, Mike, where can our listeners find out more about you? Uh, probably the easiest way is just hit me up on LinkedIn. If you send me a note through LinkedIn, I'll respond to you. And then also check out those submission guidelines that are on your, uh, your podcast uh, website. Yeah, and we will have uh, links to that. For those of you listening in an app, you just scroll down. We'll have links to his uh, 
LinkedIn and uh, a place where you can download those submission guidelines. Our sponsor today is the Christian Writers Institute. And our course of the day is uh, 12 Ways to Please an Editor by Bob Hostetler. So we're talking about what editors are looking for. This is a great talk by Bob, uh, which is about not just uh, getting an editor interested in your manuscript, but also it's really practical advice of working with an editor. So your end product is as good as it can possibly be. And as always, use coupon code podcast to save 10% on checkout. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today on the Christian Publishing Show. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Thank you for listening to the Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.